guys. Welcome to the Get Lit Podcast. My name is Julie. I'm Michelle. I'm Mary Lee. I'm Arielle. And this week we will be discussing Kill the Boy Band by Goldie Moldeski. I believe I'm saying that right. Um, and then we're going to connect that to the band One Direction in this podcast and kind of talk about the pedagogical ways that we would approach this text um, and how we would teach it to either middle schoolers or high school students. So first, uh, give you a basic plot summary on Kill the Boy Band. Uh, on the back of the book, I'm just going to read the description on there because I think it's kind of interesting. Um, it's about teenage girls that they are friends, they are fans, and they're sick of being nice. Just know from the start that it wasn't supposed to go like this. All we wanted was to get near them. That's why we got a room in the hotel where they were staying. We were not planning to kidnap one of them, especially not the most useless one. But we had him, his room key, his cell phone, and his secrets. We were not planning on what happened next, we swear. So, long story short, Kill the Boy Band, it's just like what the title says. They exit these uh, fangirls, um, Apple, Aaron, Isabel, and the unnamed protagonist accidentally kill uh, one of the band members that they hold hostage. And then they kill the boy band, essentially. So um, right now I'm going to open up the floor to any of our uh, young adult educators to kind of talk about this text. Anyone want to go first? All right, Mary Lee. Yeah, so um, you mentioned uh, the unnamed protagonist. I think that's an interesting place to start because as we're thinking about um, teenage girls and how they're affected by things like boy bands and social media and whatnot and how they are, yeah, like I said, affected by it, but then also affect it in turn um, and their, their voices. And I think with the unnamed protagonist, um, it's a way for a lot of girls to kind of like insert themselves into the story almost. Um, it's told that the story is told in first person. Um, so, you know, as they're reading it as I and the girl, um, the main character gives different names, um, different people at multiple times throughout the book. Like on the one hand, it's like, Oh, that's a smart strategy. That way no one knows who she is. And, they can't like pin anything on her kind of thing if they don't know her name. Um, but it's also kind of a tribute to like how ends and things like the Beatles and, you know, throughout the years, different, um, different boy bands have been different girls obsession. And so it's just kind of like a nod to the history behind kind of a nod that is the boy band. So I think it's interesting, too, that you mentioned the namelessness of her uh, in the text as a way of um, the people that would be reading this would be, I assume, a lot of young um, adults that are female. So this text is written for them and it kind of allows them to experience that more first person narrative firsthand. And I think it's also interesting, too, mm -hmm. that the band members in this specific book, they're all named Rupert. And there's like. I believe it's four of them as well. Um, so I think it's interesting. It's mm -hmm. Rupert K, Rupert L, Rupert X. Um, so I think that the identities are intentionally skewed um, to where 
not only can you as a reader insert yourself in the text, but also how replaceable the band members are. Like technically the boy band could have survived by simply inserting another Rupert to replace the dead one. If Mm -hmm. the other ones weren't arrested in the process. But yeah. What do y'all think about that? Ariel? So when I was reading the text and I saw that our main character didn't have a name, I kind of thought of it as an identity crisis for her. I found it ironic how um, she joined this group of her peers and they all were were, um, fans of this group. But she kind of had... She had the sense of belonging, but she also had an identity crisis because she never gave herself a name. And that's also seen with her relationship with Aaron, who's her best friend. But then when Aaron becomes friends with Isabel, um, you can also see that identity crisis because she's like, okay, well, I don't know what to do. My best friend is always the one that used to make these decisions for me, and I would just follow along with her. Um, so, yeah, I definitely think of it as an identity crisis as well, her not giving herself a name. Yes. Um, Michelle? Uh, I was going to piggyback on what Ariel said. I agree with what she said, and I also wanted to tie in um, our other podcast group from the class. I think it's Out on a Limb, y'all. Um, and they talked a lot about, like, girl competition, girl jealousy. And I saw that in the text a lot between Aaron and the main character, um, because as Aaron was becoming friends with Isabel, uh, the main character kept like catching on to different things, like how she was looking at her, how they were going to sleep in the bed together and different things that they were doing. And I saw a lot of like girl competition going on. And it was like the main character did not have an identity for herself outside of her best friend. And then once she loses her and then the boy band, then it's like she's just not a person anymore. Yeah, that's interesting. And then um, forgive me if I'm wrong, but you work as a cheerleader or cheerleader instructor, right? Yes, So I do. do you see a lot of like similarities in that kind of like um, tensions or like that quickie type nature um, with those um. <laughs> Yeah, they're, uh, they're definitely an interesting group to watch. They're more like, they have little cliques, and the cliques are like, some of them click with each other, and then some of them do not get along, but you'll see like one week, certain girls are in this friend group hanging out, posting pictures on social media, and then one girl from one group will be seen in another, and then all of a sudden, they're not friends anymore, so it's like, as the coach on the outside, I can never keep up with like who's friends and what the drama is. So you like, I honestly have learned to watch how they group themselves off of social media. Cause I run a cheer page for like um, recruiting and things for colleges and I follow all the girls so I can tag them. So college recruiters can see who they are and I'll see them post like with certain friend groups. And that's how I stay up to date on like what's going on at practice. Cause you can definitely tell in their attitudes who's, you know, there's something going on and nine times out of 10, you can find it on social media. Yeah. I think that's a really neat connection to social media in that kind of a way of how important it is for the relationships that these uh, young adults have with each other, but also with the world surrounding them. Cause in the book, Isabella or Isabel, um, she's the main, like, I guess, Twitter user, you could say she's um, mainly worried about her blog or her page. 
and how um, kidnapping the Rupert will make her popularity soar. Um, so I think that that's a very interesting connection to your actual experience. Yeah, Michelle. Yeah, I can add to that Twitter point as well. Um, I pulled a quote from the um, article Repetitions of Desire Queering, mm -hmm. The One Direction Fangirl by Hannah McCann. And the quote that stood out to me, she said the Larrys, which is like directed towards the One Direction band, exist as a network exclusively online on Instagram, Tumblr, and Twitter most prominently. Like many fan communities, these social networks provide the conditions in which the Larrys establish their community. And I'll save some of this for later on in the podcast, but I caught myself laughing um, at Apple's Twitter. Um, on page 18, she talks about how important the internet was to them, especially Twitter. And like an example of one of the tweets can be, uh, I lost it. Or she's just talking about killing the girl that is dating the guy she likes and like how she's very vulgar, but everything takes place on Twitter. Yeah. Um, and that's where their identity comes from. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Uh, Mary Leaf. Yeah, I just wanted to kind of highlight that a little bit. And I, I really think it's interesting how y'all are talking about the kind of identity crisis, like, like Ariel mentioned, you know, and how social media can cause an identity crisis, you know, but it can also be a place for identity discovery or identity creation or remodeling. Um, Cause you know, if you only talk to people online, you can be whoever you want to be kind of thing, you know? Um, Cause they don't actually know you, you, as a, as a person in real life um and you know things we do and say on the internet do have real life consequences but you can there's just that amazing uh possibility for self-creation and recreation um on the internet and like you were saying with the um with the ruperts all being having the same name in the, in the book um and then you know, their, their personalities are based on their last name versus their first name is really, really very interesting. Um, and how they're kind of blank slates a little bit for the fangirls to, or, or girl fans or however you want to call them, uh, to kind of like project what they want onto these different Ruperts. Um, so yeah, so that, that identity crisis is very, very interesting to think about in those terms. Yeah. And to kind of connect it to um, a quote from the book, this was on uh, page 25 where the protagonist is kind of thinking, uh, people can do a lot of harm if pushed to the breaking point. And us fangirls lived at the breaking point. Boy band fangirls are a species that are more focused, determined, and powerful in large numbers than just about any other group people of people I can think of. So I think that it's really interesting that the, the passion that these young women have is amazing, but also potentially dangerous, as we can see. Um, because, you know, like, it's not just this small group of girls kidnapping this one Rupert. It goes into all areas after that information comes out. 
they tamper with evidence and it gets them in a mess. Yes, Mary Lee. Well, and just, I think going along with that, you know, it could be, like you said, it's not just this group of girls. It could be any of them, really. It happens to be these four that, you know, end up kidnapping a, a, this guy and he ends up dead. Um, but, you know, throughout the book, we see like the, the swarm of other fangirls outside the hotel. And these four are just with the ones that happen to be inside the hotel with them. And it could be any of them kind of thing, which um, is is interesting when we think about like the the group power, like you were saying, the the potential they have as as a as a large unit to to affect change and make or break uh, the boy bands, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that Erin um, is especially important for that in a book where. Um, she kind of talks to the protagonist saying those girls outside the hotel could overthrow governments with their passion. They have potential to do so much more to make music or art or even something that isn't an RPF fanfic. So original creation that's not borrowing from someone else or something else that's already existed. Um, yes, Ariel. Um, so I found it interesting how the group, um, ultimately they're killing the boy band. Um, but also girlfriends or girl fans are supposed to, um, have a sense of identity and a sense of belonging amongst them, amongst each other because of their common interests. Um, but within the book, I noticed, um, and also I can relate this to the, uh, Nasri text, the peer groups are not harmonious. Um, this is seen with the Rupert's where Rupert P is the least attractive, um, and also in the group as well, because they have hidden agendas. So our main character, her agenda seems to be, okay, let's just go have fun. Apple clearly wants to have sex with Rupert P. Um, Isabel just wants to grow her fan base. And then Erin wants to kill the boy band. That's her hidden agenda. So I just found it interesting how the fangirls are supposed to come together and unite, but it's kind of breaking, it's breaking up throughout the book. And I seen toward the end where, um, our main character says, I see Aaron around, but it's not the same. We don't, we might say hi, but we don't really talk as much. So throughout the book, they not only killed the boy band, but they kind of killed their own social group as well. Yeah, Mary Lee. Um, kind of just to build off that a little bit. Um, you know, last week we were talking some about um, the, like the social pressures um, that young women feel. And I think it's interesting, like, like Ariel was just saying, you know, if um, there's, all of this pressure almost on on girl fans of the same band to be uniform almost you know and so if there's the pressure to be uniform but they're they're individual human beings then that that's gonna break them apart eventually and they are unified in one point they're all fans of this particular thing but they're you know individual unique people and they have other quirks and personalities and interests and things. And so that, that pressure to conform to be the same as everyone else who's a fan of this thing is going to eventually, you know, fracture that group. Um, especially if they're all too close together, like literally, cause um, I think at one point the main character said that she prefers Isabel as an online friend and she's scarier in, in person. Um, and so yeah, it's just, it, 
it's a very, like that quote you read earlier there, they live at the breaking point. They live at that point of like high tension and high stress where it's, it's, they, you know, it just could snap at any minute depending yeah. on what, what pressures and factors are there. So I think that's, that's very interesting. Yeah, Michelle. I think I agree with everything you're saying, Mary Leaf, and to kind of add more to that, I think that's how teenagers are in general. Um, They kind of live without regard to the future. Um, But I wanted to tie in a few quotes from page 63 about how her, kind of like her mindset on the entire situation of girl fans worked. Uh, She said she was talking to the bartender that told her basically that she was dumb for falling into the trap of the boy band and she says he was just another adult who forgot what it was like to love something so completely the joy you find as a teen however frivolous or and dumb is pure and meaningful it doesn't matter that it might ferment and taste different when you're older that's the whole point of being a teenager not worrying about the future maybe it was obsession maybe it was also happiness and escape from the suckiness of everyday life And when you find something that makes you happy and giddy and excited every day, us fangirls know a truth that everyone else seems to have forgotten. You hold on to that joy tenaciously for as long as you can, because it's rare to get excited about anything these days. So I kind of feel like when reading that, this um, girl fan concept is how they cope with their lives. And I can, I can relate to that. I was, I had a crush when I was younger too. And I used, like, I watched the movies. I watched the YouTube videos. What was your crush? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who I'll was do what? Yeah. So, yeah, I was obsessed with Twilight. And then when the movies came out, I was obsessed with Robert Pattinson. So <laughs> it was, um, but I agree. Like, they live on that edge of, they're obsessed, obsessed, obsessed. They use it. It takes over their entire life because they don't really, they haven't found their purpose yet. It's a way of coping. It's a way of like inserting themselves into a fantasy world. And then when it's over, it's over. And they're on to the next thing. Well, I think it's important too that um, if you think about the way fiction kind of helps young adults, especially young adult females, kind of safely express their interests. It's a good outlet. Um, A lot of first crushes, like I had a crush on Josh Groban. I don't know why he was the gr- the guy I fangirled after. I liked his voice. He had curly hair, you know, fits that vibe, I guess. But I think that uh, emotionally, it's a healthy way for girls to be passionate and kind of obsessive about certain, you know, ba- boy bands or, um, you know, book characters like t- Edward. Um, it's just that it's a safe place where you can kind of project your feelings and emotions and romantic ideologies onto something and yeah it's not gonna be reciprocated but it it still works yes Mary Lee well just to kind of like I guess add to that or complicate it a little bit I was thinking you know as I was was reading this book and then also thinking about um the fictional version of like a boy band and the fangirls versus like the the real life or our real life um version that we see like with One Direction and the um, girls on different social medias and um, Instagram and TikTok and whatnot. Um, 
And thinking about that in contrast to, like Michelle was saying, being obsessed with Twilight, which would be, you know, something that's fictional. And I think there's like, there's an interesting gray area in there um, between between being obsessed with like a re- with these real people, like, um, you know, as much as the members of the boy band are like, like their social media presence is edited and, and it's very specific to like kind of create this certain identity for each of them, you know? Um, but they're still real people versus someone in a book or in a movie um, who is completely fictional and then just played by an actor or something. And I, I don't know. I just was wondering what, like what y'all would think about kind of that, that gray area, because, you know, the, the one direction boys are real. They have a, uh, created presence does that make them fictional enough to where the obsession is okay I guess I don't know I don't know what the right words for that are but um yeah but so yeah. based on uh our listener doesn't know this but we had to uh google like hashtags like uh Nile uh Horan uh 1D and then Larry um What's that hashtag called? Um, it's like Harry Styles. Larry Stylinson. Yeah, Larry Stylinson. Thank you. And uh, during those hashtags um, on Instagram, you find everything from like memes to like fan art. And uh, a lot of it's very intimate, you know, like it's them laying in a bed in their underwear with the sheets out to where you can kind of imagine these relationships with these guys. And I do think that they have enough of a fictional uh, presence to where that bridges and blurs the gap between what's real and what's not. So I think that there's enough uh, imagination for these young adult fangirls or girl fans to kind of project their own subversive um, desires um, or even, you know, imaginations on those blank spaces um, to kind of steal from one of their songs. But um, yes, Ariel. Um, So I completely agree with what Julie just said in response response to Mary Lee. Um, but I wanted to go back to what Michelle said in the quote about um, the bartender. So I think that the bartender in that scene that they had when he was talking to our main character, it kind of showed later on in the novel, a transformation with our group of girls, our girlfriend, girl fans, because when they were in the elevator and they met the other girls um, who got the hotel room, they were kind of looking at them as like, oh, is this how we look to other people? Like, this doesn't seem cool anymore. So it kind of shows their transformation throughout the novel um, where they're like, okay, well, we thought this was such a great idea. And the we versus them that uh, Nasri talks about in his text, um, they were setting themselves apart because they were doing something so different. They also also mentioned that stalking these boy bands set you apart because you were brave enough to go and try to see them and touch them. But when they saw other people doing it, they kind of were like, okay, well, this doesn't make sense. I don't know why we were so passionate about this. So I think that speaks to their transformation as well. Um, And then Julie brought up the imagined scenarios where they're kind of thinking about like, um, oh, I can kiss um, this boy man, boy member or um, Apple wanted to have sex with Rupert P. 
Um, and I think that draws on their heterosexual desires. So that brings them together because they're like, okay, well, we have heterosexual desires now. We're kind of going from childhood to adulthood. And then my final point that I wanted to talk about was one of the TikTok videos um, that I saw. There was this girl. Um, I can't remember her name, but she her username kind of implied that she was homosexual. But she was having desires about the One Direction member, Harry Styles. And she went up to me. She was like, oh, um, who are you? Oh, I didn't even know. My sister just made me come here. Oh, I don't want to hug you. We could just shake hands. And then he's like, oh, well, do you want to come backstage? And she's like, oh, yeah, sure. I'll come backstage kind of to imply that they're going to have sex like Aaron in the book. But then she gets backstage and Larry's there. And he's like, no, Harry's waiting on me. So I thought that kind of interesting because one, she clearly was homosexual based off of her um, username, but she was still trying to fit into this category of One Direction fans. They have this heterosexual desire for the band groups, which is not realistic, but they bond because of that. But then at the end, she kind of put in some a homosexual twist to it. So I found that interesting as well. Yeah, Michelle. Um. To tie on to that, um, one of, from the McCann article we read, she was talking about the, um, kind of like the community that exists for the people who think that there's something between, uh, two One Direction band members. And one of the fans said, I come from a conservative family. And as I have already told you, my country has not yet acknowledged the LGBT plus community, which makes it impossible for the people to come out, we are forced to believe that we are nothing but straight. I can share my feelings with my friends in this fandom and they won't judge me. Maybe that's what they're and then Harry and Lewis coming out. Why it's so important to me. I know so many people who have found their love in this fandom. This fandom is basically home for us. So like even like in the book, there was a relationship between a secret relationship between Rupert P and Griffin and then in one direction, even like, I'm honestly not sure if there's truth to it. I'm not like a huge follower of them, but if there's a relationship between Harry and Lewis or Louis or whatever his name is, <laughs> um, I think fans kind of create their own little other realm um, and create their own reality uh, so that they can fit into this larger fan base. Yeah. And um, to kind of, inject myself a little bit there I think that to connect it to the book um they were being uh, quizzed by the civil war guy and um she kind of talks about the protagonist talks about how loving someone so fiercely gave us permission to also be critical of them and to me that was especially important when I was watching um one of their videos that they had where Danny DeVito directed it uh, steal my girl that was released in 2014 and when he's talking to the band members before the song starts, he says, first you destroy, then you create. So I think that there's this like awesome power that young adults have when it comes to both loving and idolizing uh, something like One Direction, um, but also being able to kind of dissect it and break it down. Um, so they're like, they're awesome analysts, but they're also awesome creators with their imagination, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, um, Ariel, yeah. 
Um, so that kind of reminded me of the McCain text when there when it was stated that it doesn't matter if um, they're really dating the two One Directional members or not, but it is important to create a subgroup for those who don't completely belong. So I don't think it matters if they're dating or not, but um, like the quote Michelle shared, um, they just want to fit in and share their desires with others who feel the same way. Um, all right. Now, we listened to quite a few songs by One Direction, and I was just going to ask a silly question of which song y'all liked out of the ones that we watched or listened to, and uh, kind of why. Like, was it like the lyric, or was it the beat, or the mood, or um, did you feel like reminiscing uh, when you were listening to it? Um, does anyone want to start with that? Yeah, Ariel. I can't tell you the specific title, but I like their earlier works. Um, they were more upbeat. It was more about like innocent love, not like, hey, let's let's have sex or let's make out. It was more innocent. Um, they were at the beach playing around with balls. So I definitely like their earlier work more than their later work, um, just because it was fun and upbeat. Do you think that the later work, the more sexualized uh, connotations and lyrics, do you think that that was something they were trying to do themselves, or do you think that they're just merely following whatever advice the producers gave them? Because I do think that's interesting that you point out how they start out singing, you know, songs on the X Factor that are just, you know, renditions of classics into moving into more sexualized connotations of like, you know, having sex or whatever, laying in bed with someone waking up the next morning. I feel like it's a little bit of both um, because sex sales nowadays, I feel like people may have want to hurt that more and that would have sold more. Um, and then I also think because the boys were transitioning from um, different operational stages, that might have been on their mind as well. But I think more so that was management's decision mm -hmm. to kind of sexualize them. I think it's interesting, too, that when we connect um, One Direction, so when we connect One Direction to their actual songs themselves, a lot of those lyrics involve them singing about, you know, a romantic partner or female or whatever. And like the narration of Kill the Boy Band with the protagonist not being named, this kind of allows, you know, girls to insert themselves into the lyrics and thus in the role as their potential lover, which kind of feeds into like the fanfic buildup of you see all these um, creations that they make in those fandoms. Um, but yeah. So now to bring it back more to like a pedagogical approach, um, I was going to ask y'all, um, female educators, whether or not you would, number one, teach Kill the Boy Band uh, in a class or what age group uh, you could see this text functioning alongside of, say, One Direction, um, like TikTok videos or music videos or anything like that. So I'll open the floor to your um, discussion right there. Yeah, Michelle. I think I would teach it. It's very, it's a very easy read and it's super like playful. I don't think it's anything that would offend like any parents or administration, but of course you always have to check. Um, but I thought, like, when I was reading it, I was thinking, how would I teach this in a meaningful way? And one of the things that really stood out to me was, like, the concept of, like, facade versus reality. 
Um, so for example, on page 260, she says she's talking to Rupert K, the main character is, and he's talking about how he doesn't like being in the band, how he wants to be his own artist in a different way. And she's like, but you get to play when you're on tour. And he says, not really. My guitar is not plugged in to anything when we're on stage. Um, and I can't run around and entertain a crowd when I've got wires and cables stripping me. And so there are a few instances in the book where like their true identities are revealed and like how who they are in person is not who they are on social media, even down to like depression. Like some of them struggle with you being depressed and just being normal teenagers, which kind of ties back to last, last week, the betwixt and in between, I think it was called. Mm -hmm. And I would teach it kind of from that standpoint of like everything that you see on social media or everything that you see with like how a person chooses to like present themselves is not always reality. And there are a few more texts that I teach in my ninth grade literature classroom that tie into that theme. So I like to like theme structure my units yeah, that's cool. and pull in different texts. So that's how I think I would approach it. Awesome. Mary Lee? Um, I think I would also try to teach this. I really think um, it's very, it's very um, empowering on the one sense because, you know, even though these the characters are a little, they, they scare me a little bit um, with their intensity, but like Aaron, um, is the one who wants to kill the boy band, but um, it's because she wants girls to do something more, I guess, meaningful or lasting or with their, with their talents. And she recognizes that they are so talented and so powerful. Um, and then Isabel, you know, she's got her whole, um, She's basically like a journalist and, and get the, gets the scoop on everything. And, you know, she could go so far in life with those skills and talents. And so I think that's something that I would try to pull out of this text to try to teach um, like high school age students and say, you know, you have all of this potential. You have all of this power. You know, think of all of the things you could do with this. Mm -hmm. So that's probably where I would go with it. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I think it's important, too, that the book's called Kill the Boy Band, but we also see the fangirl band die as well at the end. They're not friends anymore. They separate. And I think mm -hmm. that it's interesting that that's how the book ends is the dissolving of the boy band itself, but also of the community that was inspired by that group in the first place. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, so I guess we'll close here. We look forward to hearing any comments and uh, sharing any more insights and songs with y'all um, in discussion uh, later. So hope you all have a good day. Bye. 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 Bye.